Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you are great and that you are awesome. And Lord, we bring to you all of our needs and our supplications. Lord, you know what we need even before we ask. You know what our marriages need. You know what our livelihood needs. You know what we need spiritually. And so, Lord, we come to you and ask that you will bless, that you will come to our aid. We need you now as we come to the preaching of your word, to the preaching of your truth. This is not the opinion of man, but this is the very word of God that you were inspired by your Holy Spirit to your apostles. And so, Lord, is your word without error, Lord. And it has value, and we can apply it to our life. So, Holy Spirit, I call upon you and ask that you will come. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to Genesis chapter 1. You're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2, and also chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Here's God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he will call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the, God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him. This is God's word. Holy word. What is marriage? Marriage is what? (laughs) Think about that question. And then in your mind, I want you to fill in the blank. Marriage is what? Is it between one man and one woman? Or is marriage between two people regardless of sex? Is it between multiple spouses? Is marriage ordained by God? Or is it a creation of humanity? Is marriage good, or is marriage hell on earth? Much debate and discussion is taking place in our culture about marriage, and yet there's no clear consensus of of what its meaning is. One group says this, another group says that. Who's right? Every single person in our nation has a source that he or she stands on to defend and view a marriage. Every person, no matter your religion, no matter your culture, you have a source that you stand on to defend your view of marriage. And for the church, for those of us who have saving faith in God, in Christ, that source is Yahweh Elohim and his holy word. That's what we stand on. And we do it humbly without apology. And when it comes to the Christian view of marriage, 
in our culture, we say with Martin Luther, I cannot and I will not recant anything. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. I can do no other, so help me God. So this morning, we're going to begin to take our stand with a new series called Marriage Is. We're going to look at marriage through three big lenses. Creation, fall, redemption. We're going to look at marriage through those three lenses. Creation, fall, redemption. And when you look at marriage through the lenses of creation, you know what you see? Marriage is covenant. When you look at marriage through the lenses of creation, marriage is covenant. It's covenant. Now, the first step to understand that marriage is covenant, you've got to go back to the beginning. Back to the inception of marriage. Within the context of creation. In Genesis 1 and 2. Open your Bible. Bible Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see God as the sovereign creator of his universe. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Throughout chapter 1, Elohim is the name that is used of God. And one commentator says, Creation extols God's transcendence and the power of his spoken word. Thus, Elohim is preferred. Elohim created. And that Hebrew word that, that means create is, all, is always used of God. Every time it's used, it's only used of God. He's always the subject of that verb. It's used to show that God is the one who took initiative to create. He took the initiative to bring into existence everything that never existed before, the heavens and the earth. He created them out of nothing. And the text says the newly created earth was without form. It was dark. It was empty. And so we're getting ready to see that God in his creative works was getting ready to give shape, substance, and light to his new creation. And he did so in the space of six days. He created by the word of his power. And there's a repeated phrase used after each day of creation. What does it say? God saw all that he made, and it was good. And it was good. He shaped and fashioned his creation into a good and beautiful place. And the Hebrew word for good can also mean excellent of its kind. His created works were excellent works. And the most excellent of his works was created on the sixth day. The most excellent of all his created works was created on the sixth day. Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, mankind is the crown of God's creation. One commentator says, just as a statue is the image of what it portrays, even so we are the image of God on earth. This separates us from the animals. They are not created in God's image. We are. This also means even those who are in rebellion against God are still created in his image, even if they don't acknowledge it. My 
ethics professor in seminary, he says, you can deny some of the image of, in God in you some of the time. You can even deny all the image of God in you some of the time. But you cannot deny all the image of God in you all the time. Where do you think the desire for self-worth, value, and dignity, and empowerment, and love come from in people? It's because of the image of God in them. That's where it comes from. God created man, male and female, in his own image and knowledge and righteousness and holiness with rule over the creatures. This means we were created for the capacity of relationships. We have talent, intellect, creativity, reason, and so forth. It also means we are not self-existing. We are not completely autonomous. We are codependent beings because we need other things in order to survive. Genesis 2 says, tells us that God created Adam from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into him the breath of life, and Adam became a living creature. Mankind is not its own creator, nor did we evolve from an ape. Elohim created us, male and female, in his own image. So what? Why is that important? Why is that important to know that Elohim is, is creator in a, in when we're talking about marriage? Why is it important? Here's why. If Elohim is the creator of the universe, if Elohim is the creator of mankind, then that means he has authority over everything and over everyone. It also means he has put forth standards on how his world and how humanity is supposed to operate and function under that authority. There is order in his creation. There is responsibility in his creation. There are roles in his creation. There are freedoms in his creation. And there are limits in his creation. In the parent-child relationship, Who's under whose authority? Is the parent under the child's authority? Is the child the one setting the standards in your house, telling you how life is going to be in your house? If that's the case, then you are in trouble. The parent has the authority. The parent sets the standards. Even when your child rebels, it does not change your role. It does not change your standards. It does not change the fact that you, are have, you have the authority. Even when they go complain to grandma about how hard their life is and how unhappy they are, when they get back home, guess what? They still under your authority and the standards that you set. Still. It doesn't change. The same is true when it comes to the creator and creature. Even when the creatures rebel against the creator, his authority still stands, and the standards he sets still stands. The creature does not change that. Now, there are two sides to this relationship. There's two sides to this. The second side deals with provision. In the parent-child relationship, the child does not provide for themselves. It's the parent's responsibility to provide for their kids. A home, clothing, food. Welfare, education, discipline, sleep. The parent is supposed to make those provisions for their child. And the same is also true of the creator for his creature. 
the creator makes provisions for his good creation. You see, when God created Adam, he did not abandon him in his creation. He did not tell Adam, now go provide for yourself, Adam. No, Yahweh Elohim, that's the covenant name for God. Yahweh Elohim is the covenant name for God. He made provisions for Adam, provision of life. He breathed life into him. He gave him provision for sustenance. He gave him water. He gave him provision of fellowship with God. The Garden of Eden was the temple of fellowship. He gave him the provision of work. He put him in the garden and told him, you work and keep it. He gave him provision of limits. You are not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And finally, he gave him the provision of marriage for his good and for his benefit. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Thank you, Jesus, and amen. I will make a helper fit for him. Notice what the Lord says here. For the first time in his creating works, he says something was not good in the midst of everything being good. Something was not good. At the end of the sixth day of creation, God pronounced that everything was very good. Please know he didn't say that until after he created Adam's helper. That's when he made that declaration. It was always very good. I hope you see that the Lord God knew what Adam needed before he did. And he took the initiative to provide it for him. Why wasn't it good for man to be alone? Adam was a, a social creature, a relational creature. He was created to be in relationship with God first and with other people second. If you don't think you need relationships with others, then you are mistaken. The Lord God knew that Adam was in need of a, a type of horizontal relationship that he didn't have, that something was missing. He was alone. The Hebrew term that has been translated alone, it can also mean part. P-A-R-T. Part. Adam being alone meant he was just a part of peace. He was a piece. He wasn't whole. That's what God is saying when he said he was alone. That he was just a part of something. He was a piece. There was another piece missing. He was not made whole. It was not good that a man should live his life just being a piece, never to be made whole. So God says, I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a helper fit for him. Notice again the pronoun that is used. I will make for him. The creator exercising his authority over his creation and his provision for his creation. You see, Adam was not going to tell God what type of helper he needed. Adam was not going to make his own helper. At this point, Adam had complete trust in his creator, in his authority, and his provision. He was not yet in rebellion against God. He trusted God. The Lord God made a helper fit for Adam. The Hebrew word that has been translated helper, it, 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 it communicates more than just assisting someone. 
In other places in the Old Testament, the term is used to talk about military aid or help, like providing the needed reinforcements in a battle. The term is always used of God in the Old Testament as well, of his divine assistance. You see, Adam's helper was going to be a strong helper, one who made up what was lacking in him. Pastor uh, Legan Duncan in, in Jackson, Mississippi, he says, Adam's helper is a picture of God coming to aid and rescue man. Adam's helper is a picture of God coming to aid and rescue man. And this helper was going to be fit and suitable for him. That translation for the Greek word for, for, for uh, that is used, to tra- that Greek, that Hebrew word phrase that's been translated suitable or fit is a good translation, but it doesn't communicate what it needs to communicate. You see, the literal meaning of that phrase is like opposite. Think about that. I'm going to make a helper for Adam that is his like opposite. Think about what that means. Adam is going to get a strong helper that's like him in his humanity, but opposite of him in his sex. Like him in his humanity, but opposite of him in his gender. This helper would not have a Y chromosome. We're not. Go to X. Verse 21. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him. A female. From the rib that he took from Adam, he brought, he made into a woman and brought her to him. This is the inception of marriage. And what is marriage? Marriage is between one man and one woman, period. Remember, the standard still stands, even if people rebel against it. Why? Because Yahweh is the creator of his universe, and he has standards that he has put forth in it. Remember, Adam was alone. In the garden. He was just a part, a piece, before God created the woman. She was the other piece. You see, male and female are two pieces that fit together to form a whole puzzle, and that puzzle is marriage. Marriage. They were to go, they were to complement one another. And together they are the image of God in similar and yet distinguished ways. One of the reasons God gave, gave Adam the provision of marriage was for companionship. That was one of the reasons he created her. He was alone. He didn't have a companion fit for him. So God gave him a companion that was his like opposite. And he brought the woman to him with her own personality, with her own features, her own gifts. She was to be his counterpart, his partner, his best friend. She was what he needed. The helper fit for him. Matthew Henry says, She was taken not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That's Matthew Henry. All of us have ideas and standards we want in the spouse, right? 
Some of them are superficial, where he has to have a six-pack and drive a nice car, <laughs> got to have a good job with benefits. Or if you're a guy, she has to like sports, got to be a good cook, or has to be fit. So we have all of these little standards that we want in a spouse. Some of them superficial, some of them are legit. Many times we, we focus so much on what our spouse is supposed to do in our life without ever focusing on who your spouse is supposed to be in your life. Adam had, was to value Eve for who she was, not for what he thought she was going to do for him or be for him. I mean, do for him. Do you value your spouse for who she is or who he is? I shared with you before about what I tried to do to Akita when we were just dating in our courtship, whatever phrase you want to use, in our relationship. You know, I tried to make her into the helper I thought I needed. I was going into the PCA. And so in this particular domination, I thought I had to have my wife look a certain way. So I had her read theology books, and we would have Bible studies over the telephone, because, you know, I had to make sure she looked a certain way. And I was over the top. And throughout that whole time, she gave me pushback. And I'm glad she did, that she did not let me do that to her. I'm, thank, I'm thankful for that. But that whole time I was doing that, you know what I failed to see? I failed to see her. I failed to see her because I was too busy trying to change her so that she can fit into my world. In the end, I was the one that changed. And it started with a conversation I had with a friend. I was walking around Best Buy in Greenville, South Carolina, and I was talking to my friend about how things were going between me and Rakita. It was frustrated, and I was frustrated with life. And he told me these words. He says, Alex, you have to believe God is sovereign in your life. You have to believe God is sovereign in your life. And when he told me that, it pierced my heart because I realized that I didn't have to change her so that she can fit in my life. God brought her into my life because she already did. He brought her into my life because she already did. She was and she is will always be the helper fit for me as long as we both shall live. And that is the same for your spouse. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? I ain't perfect, and she'll testify to that, but I do the best I can. When was the last time you actually took a moment to see your spouse, to see them, to see them? Not for what they do, not for how good she keeps house, not for how good he helps around the house, but to see your spouse. When was the last time you didn't make your marriage all about you in order to appreciate the spouse that God has given you? The grass ain't always greener, people. It ain't. You always think someone else's marriage has better than yours. And if you think about getting out of your marriage, guess what you're going to take with you? You're going to take you wherever you go. <laughs> That's the one thing that ain't going to change. So the problem might not be your spouse. It could be the person you should look into in the mirror every day. John Calvin, in the beginning of his marriage, he was looking for a domestic maid and nurse. That's what he was looking for. But he later discovered something more. After his wife passed away from an illness, 
This is what he said. He said, I have been bereaved of the best companion of my life. Of the best companion of my life. As long as she lived, she was the most faithful helper of my ministry. During the course of her illness, she was more concerned about her children than herself. This is one of the things that God intended marriage to be in his exception. He gave you your spouse to be the best companion of your life, to be your best friend. Not to do things for you, but to be your best friend, the best companion of your life. Now, I know marriage filled with a whole bunch of issues, and that sounds good in a sermon, and we're going to get into why that's, gonna, that's hard. We're going to get into the reasons why marriage is hard. But remember, just because it's hard and just because you don't feel like your spouse is your best companion does not change God's standard for your marriage. Remember, it does not change. Your spouse is supposed to be your best companion of your life. Will you embrace it or will you rebel against it? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you gave marriage for the benefit of mankind. It was a provision, along with other provisions in the garden. And so I pray, Lord, for those of us who are married. And we know sin is what clouds marriage, and we're going to get into all of that. But, Lord, we need your spirit to be at work in our marriages. Help the spouses here know that they are married to the person you have blessed them with. And that person can be their best companion if they're willing to fight for it. And I pray for those who are not married, Lord, those that want to be married, that you will give them the patience to trust you, that you will provide for them. But prepare them to be a companion. Prepare them to be the spouse they need to be, even during the time when, when they're single, Lord. That this is, you're not punishing them, Lord. Help them to know that. And so I pray you encourage them. And I pray for all this. In your son's name, amen.